Welcome to Real Estate Unscripted, where each week we connect no-nonsense, let's-get-it-done realtors and lenders from across the country who want to grow our businesses and stay motivated with timely topics and experts in our field. I'm your host, Marjorie Adam. Let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. I'm so excited to have Brian Johnson, my attorney here in Charlottesville. Brian, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So I'm so excited you guys are going to, get to learn a lot from Brian. I've known Brian for many years. I joke he comes to my house, keeps me out of jail when I have my fireworks parties. He is full service in business and real estate. He's the one I get to count on to make sure that I don't go to either IRS or real estate jails. Just so we all clear, we are in Charlottesville, Virginia. Virginia is a settlement agent and attorney state. So if you're listening to this in another state and it's not how you do closings, we're talking about how we do things in Virginia. So I always want to start that off because I know different states have completely different rules who writes contracts and how things work, but this is Charlottesville, Virginia. So that's what we're going to talk about. So Brian's been an attorney for 25 years. I've been a realtor for 27 years. Yay us. And we both look so good. So you started off, you told me as a federal income tax attorney. That sounds like tons of fun. That's right. Well, I wanted to live in Austin, Texas. And the only job that was offered to me was uh, as a federal income tax attorney. And so I gladly took that on and did it for about three years and then found myself drifting more to the business and real estate side of the practice as opposed to giving tax advice. But a great background to have for what I do. But the last 20 years has really been general business counsel as well as commercial and residential real estate closings. Nice. So tell me, what do you love about doing that? So the nice thing about being in private practice on the transactional side as opposed to the litigation side of a legal of a law firm is that I get to work with different people doing different projects each day. So it's never the same thing each day and it's never the same people each day. And for me, that's what keeps me engaged and interested in doing it. And then also, since I'm not a litigator, what we're doing is consensual. So if you wanna buy the house and he wants to sell the house, let's come together and do a deal. And if we can't do a deal, that's fine too. We won't have a contract or we'll terminate the contract and move on. But it's not the adversarial, you did this to me scenario that you would find in your typical litigation environment. It yeah, does yeah, not sound like a good way to spend your time. Yeah, that's enough, right? We don't need to worry yeah. about that. So we're going to give some hints. So most of our audience are going to be realtors and lenders, just the two easiest groups of people to deal with ever. So let's give some hints. We're going to start with the lenders. Hey, we're working with, okay. of course, our borrower and our attorney and everything. So on your end, how can a lender make a closing process more smooth working with you? So each lender has their own process. And We understand that they're not going to modify their general format, how we do things here in little old Charlottesville, Virginia. But the best lenders will have a primary contact person for us, both for the borrower as well as for the settlement agent or the settlement attorney. And that person will stay with you throughout the process. And that removes all the duplicative emails and the requests for a document that you've already provided three times or the surprise at the end when somebody says, well, I really need document X. And if you'd known that early on, it would have been easy to provide, but now it's the last minute and you're waiting for the wire to come in and now you've got to run down that document. So having a primary point of contact, if the lender can provide that, and that person staying with you through the process is very helpful. Yeah. So more work at the beginning to make things clear. And it's for all of us, right? right. The more that I can help you and the more that we can all communicate with the borrower, it's going to be way easier on all of us. So single point of contact, 
you also said a lot of them can give you some sort of like pre-closing letter at the beginning, not sure. two days before so, closing. Um, if they know what they need, they need a certain endorsement for a title policy, or they need certain documentation, or they're going to require an original of some document as opposed to a copy. And they can provide that in a pre-closing letter to us that we'll start working that list from the day that we receive it. And it's going to make the process go easier for everyone as we go forward. Yeah. And then also you talked about maybe some numbers. So what are some numbers that they could request from you to maybe help them in the end as well? So the lender is going to provide a loan estimate to their borrower, and that's going to have the basics on what the closing costs were going to be. And those are not just origination fees and appraisal fees, but it's things like what tax is going to be collected when the deed is recorded and what's the approximate cost of the title policy. And we're happy to provide input on that latter category. It makes the numbers more accurate. And oftentimes, if the lender is not familiar with the market or doesn't do a lot of closings in Virginia, they may underestimate those figures. And then federal law is going to require them to make the borrower whole on those numbers to the extent that they increase dramatically when they're actually incurred. So it's cheaper for the lender, it's more accurate for the borrower, and it makes the process go smoother. So engage with us early on and ask for our input on that kind of information, and we'll be happy to do it. I think that's great. And to me, again, I'm like, doesn't everybody do that? But I have all these assumptions that you're like, no. So those kind of loan estimate numbers before they're provided, reaching out to you and saying, hey, what are those recording fees and everything versus whoops, because I see them sometimes too, right? I get them and I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. That doesn't look right. Yeah, and that kind of leads us to who the lender is, right? So we all watch TV and we see ads for large national, usually online loan providers, and those companies can provide some attractive rates. In general, the process dealing with those remote located lenders is more difficult than somebody who has a local or a statewide presence. They're more familiar with the process. They're easier to work with. If I'm given a choice, that's who I want to deal with as opposed to someone that's located online and they happen to be a bank out of Alaska or something like that that never done a loan in Virginia. Yeah, we find that too on the realtor end, right? It's like, well, we need your final approval letter. Oh, we don't do those. Well, or you're ready to close in three days. We just need to order the appraisal. Oh, uh, mm -hmm. that seems like a problem. So having the kind of process, the way our contract says the process works, definitely works better for both of us. So there's no doubt about that. So we're going to get into realtors in a minute, you know, the best beings on earth. So in Virginia, you can work with a settlement agent or you can work with an attorney. So right in our contract, there's two different entities and I have no issue. So this is not a podcast to talk poorly about settlement agents at all. But I want to talk about why we really recommend our clients work with an attorney with you specifically on our end, because there's some things I think that people don't think about. So let's start just with like title insurance. Let's talk a little bit about that and kind of a, a great reason to work with an attorney when we're talking about title insurance. Yeah, I would tell a client there are two main reasons why you might want to choose a settlement attorney as opposed to a settlement agent. And on the title insurance side, and we'll talk about title insurance in a minute. But when the title commitment is provided, the legal description of the property, who the owners are, what items need to be taken care of. For example, the seller has a mortgage that needs to be paid off or there happens to be a judgment against one of the owners. You know, he didn't pay a credit card. We've got to take care of that. But it's also going to have a schedule in the back that has exceptions from the policy. So items not covered by the title policy. And in Virginia, the only person that can give you advice as to what those exceptions mean and what the issues are 
would be an attorney. The settlement agent by law cannot provide you with that information. So you've purchased this policy, you're investing a significant amount of money in your house, but you're not able to ask the person, hey, what does this easement mean? Or do I really have deeded access to use that private road? Or how worried should I be that the legal description is slightly different from what the seller says it is? Those kind of things are legal advice. And as a part of our closing process, as part of our fixed fee, we're providing that review of title and then discussing any items with the client. So that's really one big thing. And then the second thing is we always hope that the contract goes smoothly and the process goes forward. But if it's three days before closing and a potential dispute arises as to a provision of the contract, it's always nice to have the lawyer already on the scene, familiar with the contract and ready to discuss the point. Because that is not the time when you want to go out and find an attorney, run a conflict check, hire somebody to review a contract. It's better just to have the advice at hand. Those are two main reasons that I would say a settlement attorney might provide an advantage over a settlement agent. Yeah. We also talked, I think, about like repair escrows, which are no one knows. We're like, we can do it. We can't do it. Oh, can we today? Not sure. Like it's these things that don't stay super constant or this lender is okay with it. And as realtors, I think we're always like, oh, we'll just do that. And then either the lender attorney is like, no, no, no. The advantage of an attorney is they've got a trust account. And if I'm going to put $25,000 into escrow and I want somebody to act as the decision maker for when and if that comes out of escrow, I'd rather have somebody with a law license who's responsible to the bar and has a fiduciary duty to handle that money. I think that sounds reasonable. I would like to make sure my money is where it should be and gets dispersed only when it should. So not just, oh, by the way, this person has your money now. Thanks. You and I have talked about before, often the legal advice is given in advance of a potential issue so that the parties understand what the contract is. I'm not saying everybody is pulling out their attorney and arguing over everything, but it's just, hey, what does this provision mean? What are my rights? How long can he go before he's actually required to close? Those are all kind of informal bits of legal advice that you'll obtain along the way at no extra cost to the client. So that's a real benefit. You know, we in Virginia get to write contracts. We get to write addendums. We get to write amendments. Not all of we should be doing that because we read some of them and think, what? So I think one thing I know I always do is especially if I'm thinking, oh, let's make sure I'm saying what I think I'm saying or I'm not putting myself in a position is running them past you and saying, hey, can you make sure, right, I'm not potentially obligating us to or accepting something we shouldn't. So I think before we as realtors think, oh, I'm just going to write this very long addendum of who knows what that we should have you check it out so we also don't get ourselves in trouble we know what's in their lane and do what they're good at we know enough to be dangerous probably and that's (laughs) about it so all right let's talk about title insurance policy so i felt like i knew a lot about it until we started talking before we recorded and i realized i have a lot to learn so let's talk about the two types of title insurance policy and educate some people okay So as we move forward on a transaction that involves the buyer getting a loan, there's going to be both an owner title policy and a lender title policy. The owner title policy is written for the purchase price of the house. The lender title policy covers up to the face amount of the loan. The lender title policy is strictly in favor of the lender. So it's a claim that if paid would pay off the loan balance that was outstanding at the time the issue arose. So if you buy lender and title and owner title insurance together at the same time, generally it costs you about 10% more to add on the owner policy to the lender policy. 
everybody watching this should understand that they're not going to get a loan without a lender title policy. No bank is going to do that. So for a 10% extra, you're going to add on to an owner policy. And what is that owner policy going to do for you? It's going to protect you in case there is a dispute later as to who actually had ownership. Or it turns out there's a deed of trust that was old from a prior owner that somehow didn't get released. And so now if you make a claim under the title policy, you're saying to the title company, either pay for this problem to be resolved or pay the lawyers to go resolve the problem. It could be a small lien that's on the property, but the cost to engage the lawyers to track it down and clean it up could be significant. So we always recommend that an owner policy follow along with the lender policy. There may be a rare circumstance where a property is being conveyed between family members or say from a trust down to a beneficiary where we know the title history, we're able to check that for you and there's no need for a title policy. But if there's a loan, there's going to be a title policy. And in general, you really need an owner title policy. I agree. We always say that. And then that's why I asked you. And then what I didn't realize, so with the lender policy, I knew it covered the lender, genius lender policy, but I didn't realize a couple of things that as the loan gets paid down, that starts to go away. And if it's paid off, there's no more policy. Yeah. No more coverage at that point. Right. It makes sense, but it's not something I ever thought about. And then owner's title. So interestingly, I had to use it. Both my brother and I did. So I bought a property and there was a $120,000 lien that hadn't been properly cleared from like a woman five owners back or whatever it was. And so our mutual friend who unfortunately we lost, Ken, cleared that for me. But I was like, what do I do? And he took care of it and the owner and my title policy did. The builder hadn't properly cleared a bunch of liens. And so while they didn't show up right away, they cleared. So to me, it's a no brainer. I think it's just a Mm -hmm. one and done. Don't have to worry about it. Make sure I'm covered for the largest investment most of us will ever make. So we tell all clients, and you said other than what family members or trusts individuals, it's something they should get. We agree. I mean, it's a 99% yes to go ahead and get the owner policy. This is a significant investment for most people. And while a claim is unlikely, the dollar amount of the claim and the problems that it avoids would be significant. So you'll be glad you have it for the extra $1,500 or $1,000 or whatever you pay to tack on the policy. I was very happy. And then it didn't go away. It's not like it was a one and done. Now it's gone. It's still on the property. So to me, it was a no brainer. And we tell all of our clients as well, especially look, I've always thought if the lender requires it, right, if they're giving you a loan Mm -hmm. and they're not going to let you buy without that policy, maybe I should have it. Seems like they're looking out for themselves. I should probably look out for me too. So, And one thing in Virginia, each state has its own process and the fees can vary wildly. The cost of title insurance in Virginia is not prohibitive. There are other states where, for instance, Texas has incredibly high title policy costs. So all in all, in the scheme of what it costs you to purchase your home, the owner and lender title policies is not going to be far and away the largest expense you're going to deal with. So... But I I see it a lot where it's an optional fee and people say, I'm just going to take that out. I don't have to pay that. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, let's just skip some dinners, maybe not pay for the gym you don't go to or go to the gym and pay for it. But we can find somewhere that we can maybe cut some costs, not quite there. So myself and a colleague that I work with will often, if someone is insistent and they say they don't want our policy, we'll have them sign a statement that says, I was advised to buy owner title policy and I elected not to. 
And more than once when presented with that form, the person has said, well, I guess I'll buy it then yeah. feel that strongly about it. <laughs> or you can't come to me and <laughs> conveniently forget that I told you to buy it and you said no, right? right. Why didn't you tell right. me about that? So, all you right. Never hear that. Oh, never, never. No, no, no. Six times maybe we'd said, but you're right. I forgot. <laughs> Let's talk about realtors. Yay. Okay. So we'll sure. call them pet peeves, but maybe it's some what not to do's, right? So like you said, basically some listing agents that might go AWOL. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So the listing agent is obviously excited when they get the contract signed and they'll send it over to us, give us the contact information. And then there's more than one out there who will disappear at that process and will not reappear until the day before the closing <laughs> when they'll poke their head in the door and say, hope everything's going well, here's where to send my commission check. And so to the listing agents, I would say your job is not done when the contract is signed. Let's stay informed. Let's help the seller stay in line with the timeframes. Let's help them get the termite ordered. Let's make sure they're gonna be moved out on time. If the inspection addendum indicates that repair work has to be done, help them get that done, impress upon them how important it is to finish that in a timely manner. Stay with us in the process and you and your team do a terrific job of that, but others, maybe not so much. So. Yeah. I mean, for us and also for the flip side. So you promised to make five repairs. You're saying, oh, they're done. We're trying mm -hmm. to chase down receipts. Who did the work? Because we want verification. So just to make the end much more smooth, right, is have those receipts right. and be able to share them and sure. go through because we get them and we'll literally line by line. Yes, we can see that because a lot mm -hmm. of repairs aren't necessarily to the eye visible. So mm -hmm. yeah, we agree for the realtors as well. I'll say the other side, <laughs> the buyer's agents also appreciate this. So stay involved, really. It seems silly to have to say it, right? But you are correct. I think it's nice when we were there to represent them till the end. Sure. And then you had talked about interpretation. Let's talk about helping the client clients understand what they're signing. Right. So I think if the realtor being the primary point of contact can really help, whether it's a seller or a buyer, understand what the important provisions of the contract are. I'm not saying that you need to read every line of the contract to them, but the buyer needs to know, for example, if the inspection doesn't go well, can I get out of the contract? If I can't get my financing in a certain time frame. Do I need to give a notice by a certain date in order to get out? If this just doesn't work for me, am I only exposed on my earnest money deposit or could I be held for further damages? The basics of both the timeline of the process and how we might off ramp to get out of the contract or the other side might want to get out of the contract. Those are things that the realtor can be ready to explain and everyone understands what those are. Because we've all seen deals that through no fault of anyone, interest rates went up and all of a sudden the payment is prohibitive. So the buyer wants to get out, but can they? And at what time frame and what did they have to do to do that? So keep yeah. your client informed of the major issues that are in the contract. We're almost always using a standard VAR form of contract here in Virginia. So we all know what it says and we've been through the process. And again, seems like something that is pretty clear. So on our team, before you're going to go write a contract, you're not only going to understand it, but you're going to present it to me. Mm -hmm. You're going to flip it around and you are going to go provision by provision and at least be able to summarize what that says. Because if we don't understand it, there's no way we can counsel them. Like, when can we get out of the contract? I don't know. 
Uh, you know, let's, you know, <laughs> will I get my deposit back? Let's find out. Like that is really not what they're looking for. So we really agree with you, right? That we're not a sign here. Uh, nothing worse than when someone says, just sign it, send it to me. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going to at least go over these. So yes. And then, so we talked also about knowing the numbers, right? So I know this is something you always do with your sellers, but if you sell a house for a half million dollars, you will not receive a half million dollar wire 30 days later. So there are costs involved. There's the settlement attorney fee. There is the commissions that you're going to pay. There's a portion of the tax that the clerk collects when the deed is recorded. So a back of the envelope estimate of what the number is going to be after the mortgage is repaid and after the closing costs are incurred would be helpful, I think, to a lot of sellers. So they know, here's my net number. This is what I'm going to walk away from. And they're not going to be surprised. And unfortunately, I've attended a closing where a seller was looking at the final settlement statement and said, I didn't realize that all the commissions were being paid by me, or I had no idea that the commissions were that large once you convert that percentage to a dollar amount. And that's a frustrated seller and probably not a good repeat client for that realtor. So let's go ahead and explain that to them, right? So they know what they're going to get if the house sells for the price they intended. Yeah, I would say we always do a net sheet, which I think everybody should do an estimated net and explain some of the things like prorations for taxes. I don't know because I don't know when you're closing, if it falls into what month and everything. So right. some numbers will certainly just say explain their escrow accounts and also that they have to pay them. But I think those numbers for me, it's like floors me when you say something like that, because just even to get through the listing agreement, it's the first page, right? So commission seems to be fairly important to explain and then understanding the rest of their costs. Yes, some things can change. And we tend to also run the net, not at asking price in case, even mm -hmm. in a crazy market, let's not assume that let's assume a little negotiation. So they're happier in the end, not less happy, but I think really it's just this guidance, right? So to me, to kind of wrap it all up, we need the lender to guide them on the financing and the fees and being really clear on that process. And then we, the realtor have to guide them on listing their home in the process and then finding the right home and getting them to you, right? So getting them to the attorney that we can then have you guide them to closing and make sure that the title policy is where it should be and make sure that if there are issues, even seemingly simple of this not getting repaired or what about this is running late and interpreting this language. So to me, this team of the attorney and the lender and the realtor are vital components. Like you can be the best attorney ever, but if we messed it up, none of us get yeah. that repeat referral business because they might still like you, but we still had to get there. So I think if we could all pay attention to, hey, how can I really own my parts, not try to be you, like, I don't need to be Brian, mm -hmm. the attorney or the lender, but, you know, hey, within my lane, this is how I can escort them to you. This is how we can really set you up for the best experience with that client to closing. Yeah, absolutely. And through repetition, our teams get to know each other. We know the personality. We know the process, the timelines. It produces a better result for the client, ultimately, each and every time. And yeah. I think it gives the client some comfort, too, to say, Marjorie does 50 closings a year with Brian, so she must trust him and he must do a good job. And similarly, this is a lender that we always go to on the outside, and this is our primary person. You pick who you want, but I can just tell you that this woman has the experience to deal with 
whatever situations we've thrown their way. So even in today's world where everything's email and text, there are still personal relationships out there. And there are times when if I know the other side or the other realtor well, or the lender knows me and he knows that I'll get him that document I promised to get him, those things still matter and they help get the closing done. So all important things to remember. Yes. Well, this went so fast, Brian. Thank you so much for <laughs> joining me on Real Estate Unscripted and for oh, taking absolutely. care of me and our team and our clients. And like I said, I, I'll tell the fireworks jail story. We did not go to jail, but Brian took care of me. We were going to throw my husband under the bus, but it was going to be okay. Thank I do you. appreciate you having me here. And it's been a lot of fun and we do enjoy working with you and with your clients. And I appreciate the opportunity to get some information out there to folks so that, as we've said, if our primary audience is lenders and realtors, they've gotten a perspective from the other side of the table. And we, of course, would welcome whatever input they might have for us. So, Thank you, Brian. You were fantastic. All this right. was fun. Thanks, Marjorie. Thank you. Real Estate Unscripted is sponsored by Alcova Mortgage. Alcova is committed to simplifying the mortgage process. Check out the tools we offer to realtors and homebuyers at alcova.com slash realtors. Alcova Mortgage, equal housing lender, NMLS ID number 40508, NMLS Before we go, please show us some love by subscribing on your listening platform of choice and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you share this with your friends and be sure to listen in next week. Until then, this is Marjorie Adam. Don't forget to check out the show notes for a recap. This podcast was made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support.